0: Okay, let's try this thing. This is my first podcast on my new microphone, so hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. I expected to record this soon after getting your questions. But then the area where I am went into lockdown for one week. So I figured, okay, uh, I'll try to do it this week, but if I can't, I'll do it next week. And so the kids were home and we had remote school and there's always notes in the background. So it wasn't a good time to record. But then it kind of turned into... paradox for lockdown so they extended the one week to two weeks so I figured okay I'll do it after that and then they extended it to three weeks and four weeks and five weeks and so here we are over a month later and I'm finally having a chance to look at your questions Um, I wasn't expecting quite that many questions I have 46 right now and I didn't expect as many of them to be about life and the meaning of the universe and you know huge topics I could just skip those because I don't feel more more competent to try to answer those than anyone else. But at the same time, we're just having fun. This is not financial advice or life advice or anything. It's just, there, there's an expression in French. It's on Basically meaning, we're just talking. Yeah, we're just talking. So don't take it too seriously. But I'm going to try to go through the questions and, and let's see what it does. Okay, so this is the... Ask Me Anything portion of the program today. I'll try to go through as many of your questions as possible. The first one is by Tots 81 on Twitter. It's, I've been on a Cal Newport kick lately and loved your excerpt from his podcast today. Curious if you have any thoughts on time blocking or if it's something you apply yourself. I think time blocking makes a lot of sense in theory. I've not been able to do it in practice because I don't think I'm disciplined or organized enough. So I've been working on, on lower hanging fruits so far. For those who don't know, time blocking is basically the idea that you you look at your calendar and you assign a job to every block of time in your day, or at least most of them, especially the most productive hours of your day. So instead of coming in the morning and trying to figure out what you're going to do today and just having your time shaped by you know external things that come in like, okay, I have my to-do list and I have emails and I have calls and I have people asking me stuff and I just do whatever seems most pressing at the moment. Time blocking is saying what's most important for me to accomplish today, and I'm going to reserve some time for it. And then I'll do the other stuff kind of around it. I'll keep some time open for, for whatever else, but you schedule the most important stuff first. So yeah, partly it's because I, I'm not quite organized enough. Partly it's because I, I don't have a real job, basically. <laughs> it's a bit harder for me to know what I want to do with every every minute of the day. I try... Lately, I've been playing with Obsidian and I've been trying to have uh, my daily notes where I, mostly the day before, sometimes in the morning, I do a, a list, a to-do list of what I want to accomplish that day. And I have... Every day, I try to have uh, the day's highlight, which is a, the, the most important thing to do that day. So that's one way to try to prioritize my time, but it's not quite as, uh, as involved as, as real time blocking the way Cal Newport would do it. Next question is uh, from a nameless reader. It says, when did you retire, become a private investor, and what was your catalyst number to get there? Would you recommend it for others? So there's two questions. I'll start with the last one. I think it really depends on your personality. Some people, if the type of work they want to do doesn't really fit in that kind of uh, you know, lifestyle, if you're a research chemist or a doctor or something, it's a lot harder to do like alone from home. If you're an investor or a writer, it's perfect. It also probably depends on your type of personality. If you're very extroverted, if you need to be around people all the time, if you get energy from others, being outside of the traditional work environment probably is, is gonna be harder. I'm an introvert, I recharge my batteries when I'm alone with solitude, so it, it's very good for me. I've worked with I've worked all my life remotely, so I've seen I've seen all kinds of people deal with it in different ways. Like some people just love it, it's 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 natural for them. Some people like they bang their heads against the wall and they, they go to coffee shops and like public libraries and they try to be surrounded with people that part of it uh, you have to figure out for yourself if if it's your personality type. How did I retire? I guess the word retire" means different things to different people. I still work as much as ever, if not more, but I work on my own stuff so I don't have a real job. I think I kind of retired from working for someone else maybe five six years ago i don't know I, I'm not really good with time. But basically, I read a couple books that had a big influence on me, probably in the late 90s or early 2000s. One of them was Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. And the the central insight is basically that people sell their time in exchange for money, but that it works in reverse. So if you have enough money, you can buy back your time. And it's super obvious when you say it like this, but people don't really tell you this as you're growing up. The other book was uh, Stumbling on Happiness by Dan Gilbert. And the big insight there is that people in general, humans are very bad at predicting what will make them happy. So we tend to do what others are doing or w- what what's expected of us. We're chasing all these things and that when we get, we, we usually it's not what we expect. And so the best way to figure it out is, is kind of like with the base rates. You know, you find people who are happy and look at what they did rather than, you know, what people are chasing we haven't gotten there yet. And so I, I thought a lot about this and figured out that for myself, a lot of what made me happy was actually control over my time. Autonomy, liberty, I guess, the name means something, right? And so I've optimized my life for that. So all the time that I was working, I picked a job that I could do from home with a fair amount of, of this autonomy. And then during that time, I on the side, I was learning about investing. I was doing maybe, I don't know, you know, 50 hours a week on the real job and 20 hours a week on investing so that I could build my capital to eventually become independent. My wife and I, when we had kids, it wasn't really tenable anymore to do the 20 hours a week on the side project and the main job. So kind of the the main job that went away and I became a full-time investor. But even there, I tried to remember what I'm optimizing for. So I've had some offers for jobs in, in finance, which is kind of weird because I've never studied it or worked in it. I've always tried to optimize for this thing that makes me happy, which is this autonomy so i have never taken outside capital and not managing anyone's money that seems stressful uh, I'm not looking for a job that's kind of my my story the short version next question another anonymous person are people inherently good or bad if you think it's a mix, which way does it lean wow so we're we're getting into the big existential questions here um Obviously I think it's a mix And obviously I think it leans heavily On the good side The bad side gets all depressed Because it's, it's unusual But if you look around you Society couldn't exist if humans in general weren't, weren't pretty good There's not much stopping most people from like Breaking windows and starting fires and killing people There's not a police officer everywhere I think most people self-police And want to do good And, and are pretty generally trying to be good people doesn't mean you shouldn't prepare for the bad people, though. Next question. Okay, some nice things. I'll skip those. Uh, Maybe this is recency bias, but why do we get distracted easily in 21st century and can't can't decide easily? For the last few years, I've been trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life in terms of career. Sometimes I want to do something on my own, work at a startup, but I've not really been able to focus or narrow it down since 2018. Good question. I think it's always been hard. But it's probably harder now because it's kind of like the paradox of choice. Like, there's so many more choices, so much more information that we're bombarded with. We see so many different lifestyles that we didn't even know existed, so many different kinds of jobs. So, there's probably some of that. My recommendation for you would be to search for Cal Newport Passion Podcast. He did he did a podcast um, on I think the art of manliness, which kind of weird name podcast, but the interview is good, and it's kind of a summary of his book. So good they can't ignore you. And the idea is most people look for jobs and for like careers and you know what to do with their lives in the wrong way. They try stuff and if it doesn't, you know, if they don't feel the passion for it, if if they don't love it right away, they figure oh it's not it's not what I was meant to do. It's not for me. And then they try something else and oh it doesn't quite make me happy or maybe something else. And they they jump from thing to thing. And his idea is more like there's a few ingredients that make for great jobs. And these ingredients can be found lots of different places, but these ingredients are rare. So to get them, you need to offer something of value in return. So basically what makes for a great job according to him, and this is from memory, but stuff like autonomy and creativity and impact. And so if you want a job that has those things, you have to offer something in return to that employer because because a bunch of people would like that job because it's a good one so you have to develop your your mastery in some field you have to become skilled and and as you go progressively you, you can exchange some of that career capital in the, for more autonomy or more creativity or figure out how to get to those jobs by exchanging what you've built up and the problem is most people don't don't stick with things long enough to build up that capital they don't they don't become great so why would someone give you that great job if you're not great at what you do so I think you it's great, especially if you're young, to experiment and try a bunch of stuff. But at some point, you probably have to put the time to become good at, at something, at least better than, than most in the field. Or either that or skill stack thing where you don't attack where everybody is, but you try to find a niche where um, you, you stack some unusual skills together that make you very rare and scarce. So if everybody is doing, uh, I don't know... Everybody's a software engineer, but maybe you're a software engineer who also does design and has a, a good arts background or something, and that's rarer. So some some jobs could value those things very highly and have fewer people who can fill the position. That's just an example off the top of my head. Next question. Um, another anonymous. Can you explain your step-by-step research process for a typical company that you look at? Can I? I'm not sure if I can. I don't. I don't think there's a typical process. So I don't work for a fund. I don't n- nobody gives me a list of companies I have to look at. I don't have a universe coverage. It's more like is it interesting to me? If it's interesting, I'll, I'll dig deeper. Over time, I as I learn, I either learn to love it more or <laughs> learn to love it less. I don't know. I'm just I'm just kind of powered by this curiosity about about the thing. That's why I wrote something a while ago about stock selection as um, lifestyle design, something like that. And the idea is that I'm thinking a lot about my companies, I'm reading a lot about them, I'm learning a lot about their industries, and I don't want to spend my days reading and learning and thinking about stuff that's boring to me. So even if there's a great opportunity in some field I find boring, I'll skip it. And so I'm not optimizing for maximum return, but I'm optimizing for a balance in between, you know, good returns and spending my days on interesting stuff, because I feel that makes for a better life than having a little bit more money but being bored all day. So it's not like a process I could describe but I do the usual stuff you know I try to see if there are any good primers on the the company on the the industry if I know any people who have already studied it and can point me in the right directions and if not it's just about like reading transcripts and filings and all that stuff that you already know about or if it's an industry where there's a bunch of books about it so I, I don't have a secret sauce there next question next question I've been reading your newsletter for a while I've been enjoying it thank you and then when they start writing. In addition, 112, you mentioned the process of writing, especially the process of consuming and then selecting material that would go into it. Do you have any good estimate on how much you have to read on each topic you write about? Do you have a time dedicated to finding topics for the newsletter? Do you write a summary right after reading materials, or do you save it for later? Good questions. That that's another one about process for the newsletter. And in, in this case, it's more like most of the stuff that I'm reading for the newsletter, I would be reading anyway just because i'm curious about it and it's interesting that's why i kind of structured a newsletter about just whatever interests me if i had picked a super specific topic i would probably have to kind of on purpose try to look around for things on that topic all the time but with this kind of general eclectic like random grab bag approach i'll just read whatever i'm interested in and if it looks interesting i just put bookmarks in a notion file and then when I sit down on the computer, I'll, I once in a while go through that, that file and, and write up my thoughts on what seems most interesting. I, I wouldn't say there's a process like, okay, I'm going to read five things about this topic before I can comment. Like I'm not giving advice. I'm not pretending to be an expert. I'm It's more like I'm bringing you along as I think through and learn through these topics. That's one thing I love about Brooklyn Investor. Uh, it's a great blog. You, you can Google it. His posts feel like he's thinking things through and writing as he's thinking so you can kind of follow along and he's not pretending to have a conclusion he's just like this is what i'm thinking right now and and i feel that's very valuable to see someone's thought process how someone learns about something sometimes with super specialized people and experts and they give you their conclusion and it's great but i wish i could see how they got there next question uh this was by benjamin dover and and someone pointed out that this may be a like a, a joke name like in the simpsons when they call mo's bar So is it Ben Dover? I don't know. Maybe it's a real Benjamin Dover. I don't want to make fun of your name, but it's a cool name. Anyway, what's the purpose of life? We will all die, we will all be forgotten. Wow, this is cherry. Humans will go extinct, evolve into something completely different. Life on our planet will be annihilated by the sun. Expanding universe, wow. So basically the question is, what is the purpose of life? That's an easy one. You have to give your life a purpose. You're the one who decides. That's basically it. And so there's a bunch of stuff that's going to shape what you decide. I'm not saying you can decide anything. You know, we were social creatures where we have this this bent towards, you know, wanting to be good people, being nice to others, especially family and friends, but hopefully others too. Our brain is an evolved organ that is shaped in a certain way. Our mind is an evolved thing. So I'm not saying you can decide that the purpose of your life is to be like a robot or attack a helicopter or something, but you still have to decide right if you wait for someone from the outside to give you a purpose i think you're going to search for a long time and if you're not lucky that someone won't be someone you know with pure intentions and your best interest at heart so be careful i think i think you're the one who has to decide that and your purpose can be be a good person uh, follow your curiosity learn learn things try to make the world better try to be a good ancestor try to there's all kinds of stuff that You know, it doesn't have to be uh, something super original that nobody else has ever thought about. You know, sometimes the the best things are simple and obvious. Putting them in in practice day after day, that's the hard part. Next question. It's by JG. How do you factor in valuation when deciding whether to trim an existing holding or not? I like the idea of letting your winners run, but sometimes the stock gets too disconnected from its fundamentals and not trimming almost becomes an irrational decision. I'm curious to know your general approach to valuation, DCF versus multiples and position sizing. I realize this depends a lot on one's investment style and appetite for volatility. Well, JG, there's a lot in there. I think you're kind of referencing something I wrote about how if you want to hold a great company for a long time, like a compounder, it's going to be overvalued at times. There's no compounder that's going to keep running for like 10 years and there's no period where it doesn't look expensive. Maybe looking back, afterwards, you realize it was it was cheap, but at the time, it's going to look expensive. Even if you, if you take into account that it's a great company, it deserves a premium valuation and all that. So the question is, can you be one of those people who jump in and out of stocks every time they become a bit overvalued and then jumps back in when they're undervalued and then you jump out? I can't do that. Maybe some people can. Like Turtle Creek kind of claims to be scaling in and out of stocks all the time. I don't know. To me, it feels a lot more likely that if I was to jump out of stocks I really like and companies I, I know very well, every time they become a bit overvalued, I'd probably miss the boat at some point. I, I just anchor on some price and look at run away from me and be like, okay, I'll get it when it comes down. And uh, sometimes it doesn't come back. Or it becomes cheap again on, on the valuation, like multiple, but the price is so much higher than where you sold that it's very hard to get over that. My approach to valuation and position sizing and everything, it's kind of like... It's very much an art and not a science for me. I, I like to look at, uh, look through diversification for companies, for example. So I feel more comfortable having a big position in a company that's highly internally diversified than in a company that's like one product in one geography. You know, so, so Berkshire or Constellation are a lot more internally diversified by geography and by industry vertical and, and by internal business units and all that than other companies. So they could be bigger positions, for example. I don't tend to do fancy DCFs and spreadsheets and all that, partly because I'm not very good at it. I don't think I would add value. Like I'm not going to succeed in doing an investment better than someone else in the market because my spreadsheet is fancier than their spreadsheet. That's not where I think um, I could generate alpha. I mostly try to understand like all the qualitative stuff as well as I can and understand the quantitative stuff decently. And to me, that feels like a better balance than than spending a lot of time on quantitative stuff and missing some important yeah, industry dynamic or you know, product quality insight or whatever that makes all the numbers irrelevant a few years down the road. Because I, th- I feel like for a lot of the companies I invest in, uh, what matters most is how nimble management is, how innovative the cu- the culture is, how you know how how much do the customers love the products, and how much uh, excess value are they creating and stuff like that like that that, that's what makes me comfortable knowing company is going to do well going forward almost whatever comes right the idea is i delegate a lot of decisions to the management teams of the companies i invest in so if there's a big dislocation or downturn or problem like i want mark leonard to do his best to deal with it rather than me having to sell and buy and 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 do a lot of decisions myself because i'm not as good as he is uh next question what makes you happy how do you lead an enjoyable and satisfying life Humans have evolved into being miserable and erotic creatures most of the time, usually being unsatisfied, searching at least, wanting food, status mates. Well, another big life question. Yeah, it's about happiness, basically. There's a lot of other examples, but the general gist is this. This is another one where I think there's two angles, right? There's the general angle where you have to look at understanding humans generally so you can find some answers in psychology and evolutionary psychology and uh, biology and medicine and so how do our minds and our bodies and everything how have they evolved with our natural environment and so trying to reproduce some of that probably helps and the other is more figuring out how your own mind works because we're all different and so kind of similar to what i was saying before about you know introverts versus extroverts and people who, you know tries on, on autonomy and independent and others who are, yeah, they love being part of a team and, and being embedded in like the Marine Corps or something. So I feel like those are two avenues. And another one is, is uh, and that I quite like is it's easier to be happy by removing stuff that makes you unhappy than by trying to go at happiness directly. Right. So it's usually pretty obvious what makes you unhappy. So if you're unhappy at your job, if you have bad relationships, if you don't sleep well at night, if you, like you can identify that pretty easily and then you try to remedy that and then happiness or more happiness may, probably will result. So that's another angle for you. But uh, yeah, I, I am not a happiness guru, but I try my best. Next one by Jay Gandhi. You seem to always have something eye-opening existential about life in every post. How do you do it? How do you think about these things? And how can we? Uh, I don't know. Answer probably is just to be curious about how stuff works. Stuff can include, like, I, I'm interested in tech, but stuff can be life, can be people, can be nature, animals, uh, art. Just be interested. Be interested, be curious. And when you start digging, most of the time, that's where you, you'll find this, this kind of stuff that you know, makes you see things differently or makes you think about yourself differently. Or That's all I can say. Next one another by Benjamin Dover do we have free will are we just biological automatons with an illusion of free will do animals or plants have free will for humans my own personal opinion is that we don't have free will in practice it's as if we do so we should act every day as if we do you could probably, like, if you if you had enough, enough you know, computing power and scanning resolution, you could look at someone's entire body and brain, atom by atom. And with the laws of physics in high precision, you could predict everything they're going to do. Because, yeah, I don't believe people um, don't follow the laws of physics, right? But in practice, like, knowing this doesn't really change how I, I have to lead my life. It's not a practical thing to know. I don't think we do. It's as if we do, so we sh- may as well do the best we can with that. Next question by Mike. Hope you have many better ones to pick from, but <laughs> what about T- Peter Thiel's question? What do you think is true that nearly everybody else does not? Hmm. I don't know. Everybody else is is, is a high bar, but I don't think most people realize that aging, human aging, is not like some some baked in thing. It's more like an evolutionary blind spot because after reproduction age the body does not have evolutionary pressure, fitness pressure to create more mechanism to repair that damage that accumulates as we age. But if we can through you know, technologies, medical technologies, repair that damage, there's no reason why the human body has to, you know, become more frail and more prone to disease as as time passes. So I think at some point we'll figure out how to do that repair probably periodically and someday maybe soon maybe in a long time but someday people will basically be young adults all their lives i think that'll change a lot of things and i think we should probably try to prepare well we should try to make it happen sooner because every day that passes there's lots of people who get sick and suffer and die and and it's one of the most humanitarian thing we can do to invest in that field even if it's like high risk high reward so we don't know if it'll work but if it does like nothing will have helped humanity more uh, in a while. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's the thing I think most people don't consider enough. The disease of aging are diseases, and we can cure them. We don't have to fix all of metabolism. We don't have to change our DNA. We don't have to do all of that. That's way too hard. What we have to do is periodically repair the damage that accumulates. Uh, it's kind of like a car, you know. You, you don't have to know how every atom in the car works. You just have to know how to you know, fix a few parts and replace them once in a while and you know, make it not rust, and it'll be a bit like that with our bodies. It'll accumulate over again, but then you fix it again, and you, you always kind of bring it back below a threshold where it becomes, uh, you, you start to get pathologies. Anyway, that's that's a thing I think a lot about. Next question. What are your top five television shows of all time? This is Kevin Holloway. Yeah, dude. Um, you know. <laughs> Uh I can't say exactly off the top of my head but I, I Deadwood is probably number 1 for me just fits my personality like it's it's not a show for everyone but if it's for you it's probably really for you and it's really for me Others I really like are like um there's nothing original there but they're very good like The Wire and Breaking Bad and Sopranos and 6 Feet Under and yeah you know, stuff like that Next question If you were in college now or a recent graduate what skill would you be working on Alex again i think it's all about the meta skills all right it's all about get better at learning get better at every time you want to learn something that you can you have the confidence to know you can do it and to do it efficiently like figure out how to do good research how to do good sources out find good sources how to take good notes that you can reference back and and build on that kind of stuff i think these types of meta skills are super important, especially young, because they compound. And, and once you've invested the time and energy at learning them, then, then you benefit from them all your life. It's kind of like learning to type on a keyboard. You know, we kind of forget that it's a skill, but an important skill to have. I remember when I was young, like most adults didn't didn't know how to type on keyboards very well. They were pecking and going super slowly. And I was typing at like 60, 70 words per minute. And it felt like a superpower. So if you you're kind of like that, but for learning, for research, if you're, every time you have a question you don't know the answer for, you, you, you look for it. You're constantly learning. I think that kind of approach, kind of like reading books and, and stuff like that, it, it'll benefit you tremendously for all your life. Next one by H.M. Not a question, but an anecdote. I hope you'll appreciate My brother and I have been obsessed with Richard Feynman after discovering his writing and his work contribution. Our running joke is that we know we're in the right place if a book or article we are reading references him. We're a big fan of your newsletter. Thank you. Since edition 20, oh, so oh, geez! Imagine our excitement when you finally learned that RPF stands. Yeah, our, uh, the RPF because um, the the name just liberty wasn't available, so I had to add something. So I I, I just looked at my bookshelf. And Richard P. Feynman is one of my heroes, so I I picked RPF. But also another anecdote for you is my my first son. His middle name is Feynman. I think I thought it was a good opportunity to make him learn about Richard uh, later in life next one what's your day job by Liberty's Reader Um, my day job is just doing whatever I want and what I want these days is mostly investing and for the past I don't know since July it's been working on this newsletter it's a a fun project I hope uh, hope it keeps going for a long time Uh, next one by Flexi Um, Next question. Some nice things. And then, how do you manage to be so productive? It would be nice if you could briefly walk us through your day and let us know any habits, tips that could help us. I think the first part is most people look at things and they forget that I don't have another job. And so they, they think, oh, I could never do what he does, but they're also working nine to five somewhere else. So that helps a lot. The other part of it is that what I'm doing, I've been doing for a long time what i do all day is research more or less it's kind of like self-directed research but i'm just all always reading about whatever interests me and making notes and reading and taking notes and and watching some videos and presentations and reading and listening to podcasts interviews and reading and so i've been doing that for maybe i don't know 20 years maybe a bit more if you count some of university so i think the more you do it the, the more efficient you become at it the, the better you become at it. That's probably part of it. I, I certainly wasn't as, as good as productive with my time doing research in the b- broad sense of the term, you know, when I was starting out when I was in my early 20s. So those two things probably explain it not having a real job and just doing it all day for a long time. Next question by Lar Anderson. Oh, that's that's not Lawrence. Hi, Lawrence. I'd love to know what you look for in an investment. Why and what your no goes are? When are you coming to Ireland? I wish I was coming to Ireland soon. Looks like a great country. I'd probably stop by Scotland too to get some scotch, but Ireland looks great. As I said before, a lot of what I look for in an investment is just something that interests me. So it's not only about like return or hurdle rates. And my no-goes are mostly stuff that bores me or, or that I can't understand. I don't know, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I have a great answer for you. It's mostly the usual stuff like some stuff just too risky to un- uncertain some there are some red flags like oh bad management or you know someone who you you're not sure about their ethics their integrity companies that are mostly backwards looking and so you, you're looking at a, a nice past but the future may be very different stuff like that next one by jeremy what's the most important thing you've learned from mark leonard I'm never good at these most important or best stuff. Or I, I, I've learned a lot of things from him. But I think the most important thing is probably what he shows by example, which is to not be afraid to just do your own thing. You know, think, think things through from first principle, not forget what the goals are and, and, and do things, experiment and try to do things your way rather than just do what everyone else is doing. I think that kind of stuff, that's probably what stands out to me most. Next one. Why did you name your website Lab- Liberty RPF? What's the story significance of the name? What's the story significance of the Alma telescope in Chile, which is my my avatar? It's not a it's not a satellite dish. It's a radio telescope dish. Any thoughts on economic history development of Chile versus Argentina? Wow, these are hard questions. So the name is I picked Liberty randomly, like probably like I don't know, ten years ago, maybe more, when I joined the forum. Uh, corner of Berkshire and Fairfax and I, I needed a username so I just looked at my bookshelf and one of the books had the name Liberty and it's a, a word I like because I like the concept you know I like Liberty it's a good name it's a good word it's a better brand than my real name RPF is for Richard P. Feynman because I, I couldn't get just Liberty <laughs> on Twitter and um, the, the radio telescope is kind of the same I needed a photo for an avatar and I had a big photo of the, the, the array in Chile as a background on my, my computer desktop. And I just cropped one of the telescope dishes and put it there. It's basically it. I don't have any thoughts on, on Chile versus Argentina. I don't know much about those countries, sadly. Maybe someday. What are your top five positions? I won't tell you. Next one. You periodically post news about Russia. You have a connection to the country. Not really. I like Russia. Uh, I like the culture. I really dislike the Russian government right now. I think that's basically it. Like I I, I wish the country was freer and better led. And and yeah, I just think it's sad to see such a a great country with a lot of potential kind of wasting it on um, being a mafia state, basically. Next one. How do you think about your portfolio construction allocation? I kind of touched on this a bit. Uh, It's more an art than a science. Some people have very hard rules about like, no position gets bigger than 5% or 10%. I don't really have that, but I kind of do it by feel. Like different companies feel comfortable at different sizes. So I, I, I sell part of some stuff sometimes when you know this specific company feels like it's gotten too big in the portfolio. But it doesn't mean that a different company cannot get as big or bigger because the composition and the, the, the dynamics and everything may be very, very different. So I tried to think about it case by case. That was the last one. I hope you enjoyed this. I don't know how long it is. I haven't even looked at the recording time. Probably way too long. So I'll do a mini podcast next time. Just a quick one, like 6-10 minutes. Have a good day. Thank you everyone. Bye.